worship the Lord this morning?
We're thankful for that freedom this morning because of the wonderful gift he gave us on that cross. Amen. Let's sing about it. Thank you, Lord. We're going to sing about that this morning. We sing hallelujah for that cross. Come on.
sing it. Thank you. I was a prisoner. Now I'm not. Oh, with your blood, you, you bought my freedom. Thank you. Come on. For the cross. Thank you, Jesus. I have to take just a minute to, after saying, with your blood, you bought my freedom. We say hallelujah for the cross. I don't know, every time I sing that or every time I say that or really just think about it, I'm like, wow. The fact that you and I get to be here because we say hallelujah for the cross. With your blood, you bought my freedom. So Lord, we just thank you for that. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah for the cross. Yeah. Come on, let's sing this together. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Holy, holy is He. Sing a new song to him who sits on heaven's mercy. Sing it with me.
Shukunda at the mountain of your name. Sing it with again. Come on. Feel with wonder. Shukunda at the mountain of your name. cannot do. So Lord, we give you our every need right now. Your word says, cast your cares upon me, for I care for you. So God, we're giving you our problems. They're not ours anymore, they're yours. Whether they're physical, psychological, whether they be spiritual, whatever we might be facing, in Jesus' name, face it for us. So Father God, take care of the situation that's heavy on our heart. Father God, we release our country into your hands. We just had an election, and there's some people that are there for the very first time, and some are the same old faces. We pray same old faces have brand new transition. We pray for transformation. The Holy Spirit fall upon elected officials and make them, Lord, subject to you and to the people, of the people, for the people. So, Father God, fill this place with your majesty. Fill this place with your wonder. We pray in the glorious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. 
Welcome, welcome, welcome to New Beginnings Church. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, I'm so glad you came today. It's so good to have you in the house of the Lord. So good to have you in the house of the Lord. And as you find your way back to your seat, I just want to let you know that Thanksgiving is right around the corner. And if you want to sponsor a Thanksgiving food basket, they're only $40. For $40, you can sponsor a family. Or if you need one, you need to let us know right away. You need to let us know. So make sure you register for one. Just go to the app or go online and you can sign up for one. Another announcement I want to make is that this Saturday is the men's breakfast, so yeah. plan to be here, guys. It's going to be a great time, yeah. a great time. And this Friday, I need people to help for the food distribution. We have our really big food distribution this Friday, so I need volunteers getting here at 10 o'clock, and at 12 noon, we distribute the food. Guys, as pastor, it's always a joy to see when people submit themselves to the Spirit of God and they say, here I am, Lord, use me. One such person has been Roxy de Santiago. Roxy is a graduate from Hatch, New Mexico, went off to the University, uh, New Mexico State University in Las Cruces, home of the Aggies. There, after getting her bachelor's degree, she came to UNM, the University of New Mexico Law School, and received her Juris Doctorate there. She's not only a practicing attorney, but now she's a student at the School of Theology with the Church of God in Anderson, Indiana. Last month, maybe it was August, anyway, this past month, um, there was a national convention of the Church of God, and Roxy was asked to be one of the speakers, and God flowed powerfully through her. She brought fire down from heaven. So I said, Roxy, I'd really like for you to come and bring that fire to New Beginnings Church. So this morning, would you please welcome Roxy de Santiago to the pulpit. We love you, Roxy. Father, we pray anointing and blessing upon her. We pray be just the assurance of your spirit, Lord. Flow through her. Let her speak what you have for us to hear. From your heart to hers and then to ours. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. We love you, Roxy. Thank you, Pastor. Wow, it was, I will have to tell you, it was an amazing conference. It was a conference, at first I thought it was just a conference for women, right? And, and I got called about mm, a year and a half ago, um, I got a call from uh, Arnetta McNeese-Bailey, who's a really good friend of Sister Cindy Mansfield, and she said, hey, you know, we have this little get-together, it's just this little, you know, prayer morning, Sunday morning, could you think you could share a few words with her, with, that, with us in that, you know, Sunday morning? And I thought, you know what, that, that doesn't sound, I think I can share a few words, it doesn't sound like it's a big deal, so I, so I said, well, you know, okay, sure. I said, yes. 
And then the times start getting closer and closer and closer. And, and I talked to Sister Cindy Mansfield, and she's like, wow, that's kind of a big deal. And I thought, oh, my gosh, what have I got myself into? And then the time got closer and closer and closer, and then I found out that it was a convergence of three different conventions. It was the convention of the, of the women of the Church of God and then the, the Christian Women's Connection and then another national convention um, for, like, the regional convention. So there was, like, three conventions in one, and I kept thinking, oh, my gosh, why did I say yes? I, I still, I don't know the answer. In fact, I don't know the answer why I said yes to be up here today. But, you know, he asked me, so I said yes. But listen, this convention, Dare to Dream and Believe God, was an amazing time. I encourage you women um, in the years to come to think about going. I had my cheer club right there. She, she kept helping me out. Sister, I, as, long as, they, as long as they were still there, I knew that, that, I, that things were going okay. And thank you guys so much for being my support there. But the convention was awesome. The theme was to dare to dream. And, and not just to dream, but believe in God that things would happen in your life. And it really was founded on the story of Hannah and how Hannah desperately wanted a child. And um, and she would pray for the child and she would pray for the child. And in the end, of course, God granted her Samuel. And um, and that was the theme of the entire convention. There were breakout sessions. You could go from one room to the next. Um, there were conferences and classes and, and awesome worship. And you know what was amazing about it was to be standing in a place with women from across, women and men, because there, there, were, there were more women than men, but women and men from across the United States who were all there for the singular purpose of daring to dream and believe in God. And the conferences were, you know, the breakout sessions were things like dare to dream um, it beyond your 60s and dare to dream uh, for your children and dare to dream for your health and, and dare to dream, you, you name it. There was a conference that, that spelt what you should be dreaming out about and then believing in it. Dare to dream for your community. It, it was an amazing time. And, and, and I was the last speaker in the last day. And I tell you, it's really hard to be the last speaker because you, you hear all the speakers that came before you. And there were some amazing women preachers, and I kept thinking, how in the world and why did I get called to be in this place? There's no reason I should be here. They have amazing speakers. They have Arnetta McNeese-Bailey. They have Reverend over here and Reverend over here, and I am none of those things. So I kept praying, and even the night before, I was like, ooh, why did I say yes? And even last night, I said, why, why did I say yes? And see, the reason that that kept coming up in my mind is really standing on that national stage, much like standing here today, is something that I never even dreamed could happen, much less believed. And I think a lot of us sit in that place right now where sometimes, sometimes things happen to us that we could not even dare to dream it, much less believe that it would come true. And I couldn't believe that for myself because of where I came from. You see, I came from Hatch, but really I came from a ranch outside of Hatch. It was like 20 miles of a dirt road out into the middle of nowhere. And we were, we were very, very poor. We called it a ranch, but we had one cow 
She had never calved, and she didn't even give milk. She was basically there for decoration. <laughs> we still called it a ranch because that, that's what we called it because it had a dirt road to get all the way out there. Um, but uh, what, we, what I did have was a, a mother and father who believed in God. And so what we would do is we would go to church every time we had enough money to put gas in the car to get there. And, and our church was a Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday church. So we were in church all the time. Um, it, it was mostly my mom's church, though, if I'm being 100% honest. And, and that's mostly because it was, it was a Spanish-speaking church. And my dad's from Idaho. My mom's from Mexico. And so he's not that good with the Spanish. He was good enough to get married. And we, you know, this is... But... But to sit in church, you know, sometimes to sit in church, you want to hear, you want to hear your language. You want to hear what, what you understand. And so Spanish was the main language in church. And so he didn't go that often. Um, so really it was, it was really mom's church and, and she required us to go and it was fine. She was a spiritual leader of the house and I didn't much push against going to church. I liked it. You see in the ranch, we were, we were so that in the winter, all we had was a fireplace to keep us warm, but church had a heater, so I was going to show up at church. And in the summertime in southern New Mexico, you know it gets really hot, and there was an air conditioner in church. So I was going to show up in church. It was fine with me. And we had children's church. I liked children's church. It was a lot of fun. So I had no problem going to church. Until, you know, that middle school age, you know, we've all been in that middle school age. It just gets a little difficult. And I wouldn't say that I was a difficult child. I would just say that I was one of those childs that never stopped asking why. You know, when you're three years old, it's always why, why, why? Well, when I got to middle school, I had a whole lot of why questions as well. And my why questions when I got to middle school were all about church. Like, you know, we had a radically different church. And, and just to give you some context, our church was um, women had to wear skirts all the time. We couldn't cut our hair, couldn't wear makeup. So I didn't, I didn't understand. I kept asking, you know, questions. And, you know, the first question that I, that kept asking was, why was I always going to hell? I, I, I felt given what I was learning, that, that I was always the bad kid and I was always going to hell. We had these books in, in, in our house when I was growing up. They were called the Bible story. It's a set of blue books. And um, if I'm being 100% honest, that's as close as I got to reading the Bible. I'll tell you, there is no middle schooler ever who's going to read through Leviticus. So if you've asked them to do that, it's not going to happen. And I didn't get through Leviticus either, but I did read through these Bible stories because, you know, they were easier to read. And I remember very clearly that there was this one scene, this drawing in one of those books where it was the rapture and people were being taken up into heaven. And that scene really became this recurring nightmare of mine where we're standing on the front porch of the ranch house and I can see my mom being taken up in the rapture. Of course, my mom is getting take up in the, taken up in the rapture. She's a saint. She's my mom. She follows all the rules. So, of course, she's getting taken up in the rapture. And I remember that I felt myself being lifted up. And I was like, thank God. Somehow I made it. I don't know how I made it, but I, somehow I made it. But then, boom, 
I would fall back to the ground and I would jump up and I would try to be taken away in the rapture and I would not be taken. And I would wake up from this nightmare and I would run to my mother's bedroom and I would check to make sure that she was in the bed. Because if my mama was still in the bed, then the rapture had most certainly not occurred and I still had a chance to figure out how to not go to hell. And the other question that I kept asking myself was how was the God in the grown-up church so different than the God in children's church? Do you see, the God in children's church, he was fun. He loved me. He performed miracles. He, you know, fed 5,000. He turned water into wine. He did all of these cool things. But the God in the grown-up church, he was a lot different. I, I wasn't sure that he even liked me, much less loved me. And I had a hard time reconciling the differences between the God in children's church and the God in the grown-up church. And the other question that I kept asking myself was, why are there so many rules in my church? And it appeared to me that all the rules in my church applied mostly to the girls and not to the guys. So I had even extra questions, right? I mean, guys could wear pants, but then everybody wore pants too. But I couldn't wear pants. And and they would tell me, well, it's because, you know, pants are for men. And I would say, wait, but there's this whole women's section in the store and the women's section in the store has pants those pants were not made for men they're cut differently they're made for women so why can't i wear those women's pants you ask too many questions the bible says so end of story couldn't cut my hair couldn't wear jewelry all of these rules my sleeves had to be a certain length You know, all of these rules applied to me. And every time I had to ask a question about the rules, it would be, the Bible says so. But I didn't understand, like I needed more. Why? Why does the Bible say so? What does that mean? How is it going to make a difference or not in my life? And I never got any answer for that. And the last thing I remember asking myself about this God and asking people around me is why does this God of love rule through fear? See, that's what I had understood in that grown-up church, that the God that I, that I loved, that I thought loved me in children's church, suddenly was ruling through fear, and I had to obey him through fear. These questions kept overwhelming me. I kept asking them, and suddenly asking all the questions became another problem. And I felt like every time I looked up and every time I asked these questions, all these red check marks, like at the end of the day, if I looked to see if I had done, if I had been a good girl that day, if I had made it through the day, I would have these green check marks of these good things that I did, I wore my velo in church that day. That was a good thing. But then I would have all of these red check marks of all of these things that I had done wrong. I had messed up the rules. I had thought the wrong thing. I had said the wrong thing. I had somehow failed 
And it had these red check marks. And I couldn't ask the right questions to make them go away. And when I asked the questions, I was in trouble. So I, I kept going to church, carried my red marks with me. But I kept going to church, mostly because my mama said I had to go and I lived in her house. But also because, you know, by that time, um, I, had, I had joined the worship team. Now, let me just tell you something about this worship team. There was like 20 people in my church. So there wasn't very much of a choice, right? I was probably the only person who could sing. So there, there I was in the worship team. This is all right. But I loved singing. I, I, I still do. Worship is the way that I connected with my God. So I kept going because that's what I needed to do. That's what I wanted to do. And I lived in my mom's house, so I couldn't say no very well. Then came graduation, and I moved away to college. And um, I thought when I got to college that maybe if I went to the bigger church, same denomination, but the bigger church, that maybe somebody would be able to answer all my questions there. And I got to the church, and I remember that they had an usher. And, and when I walked into the church, I always liked to sit in the back. And he would make comments about the fact that I would sit in the back, whereas all the young ladies would sit in the very front of the church. I didn't want to sit in the front of the church. I wanted to sit in the back, and he would make comments about the fact that I wasn't sitting in the front. And at one point, I think he saw me in Walmart, and I was wearing pants. So the next time I showed up in church, he's like, oh, well, I'm glad to see you're dressed well today. So I knew, red check mark, red check mark, red mark, red mark, red mark. And the hardest thing for me about going to that bigger church was that in that denomination that I came from, you needed a carta. You needed a, a letter that introduced you to the next church so that you could become a member of that church without going through all of their um, processes. And my pastor in my original church didn't give me that letter. So when I got to the new church, I couldn't become a full member of the church, much less join their worship team. And I had these red check marks on me, and I couldn't connect with God the way my heart really needed to, which was through worship. And the red marks kept growing and growing and growing, and so I just eventually stopped going to church. Because you see, from my frame of reference at that time, it was an even greater sin to go to a different church than the church of the God of my mother than, than to stop going altogether. And it, I, I knew at that time that it probably wasn't the smartest choice, but I felt those red marks on me were so big and so heavy, I had no choice. And so I did things that kids do in college, things that they know that they shouldn't do. I hung out with the wrong people. I went to the wrong places. I did the wrong things, and I knew it all the time. I met this cool guy. He was very cute. I was in love. He wasn't a believer, but it didn't matter to me because, you know, well, I wasn't going to church anyway, so what does it matter if he's not a believer? So we got married. 
and I kept living my life. That entire time, I never stopped loving God. I never stopped believing in him. But my life didn't reflect it. And the reason my life didn't reflect it is I felt all these red marks on me that I couldn't get rid of. And I kept doing things to add more red marks, and I knew it. But I, I couldn't find a way out because that church is <sighs> hard. It's hard to walk back in. Then there came some significant moments of change in my life. The first moment was when I was holding my newborn son. It would be a moment of extreme joy for most of us, and and it was a moment of joy. But when my husband had left and my mom had left and it was just me and the baby in the hospital, I was like, oh, my gosh. I messed up my own life so badly. How can I possibly be responsible for a whole nother person? I, I, can't, I can't do this. So there in that hospital room, I remembered the God of children's church, the God of my mother and my mother's church. And I fell on my knees and I prayed and I said, Lord, like I, I, I know I've messed up. I, I know I have all of these red marks and I am so sorry but I can't do this. This is a whole nother person. And I don't know that I can be responsible for a whole nother person. So you've got to help me. And being 100% honest, I don't think that I heard him respond to me that night. At least I I didn't feel it. But I kept trying. I got up, moved on. I went back to that church because they have churches all across the United States, really. So I went back to that church, and I did the right things. You know, I I put on the dress. I pulled my hair back so they couldn't tell it was cut. I didn't wear my makeup. I didn't wear my jewelry. And I sat in the back row. But I felt, as I walked in, that they could see the red marks that carried on me. Even though I looked the part, I know I looked the part, I mean, I'd grown up in that church. I knew how to look the part. I had the velo and everything. But I just felt like that, those marks were visible to anyone who saw me in the church. And I kept going back a couple of times, and I kept going back because I knew that I needed to reconnect with God. But I, I just couldn't do it. No matter what I prayed, no matter what I said, I just felt those red marks were just still covering me over and over and over again. And the second moment of man hit your knees moment was when my husband got arrested. And I thought, oh my gosh, what have I gotten myself into? I did not marry this kind of a person. This is not what I planned. We have two incomes And now we're down to one because he lost his job. What am I going to do? I wasn't going to divorce him because by then I had two kids and there was no way I was going to give up half of my children's life by having them going back and forth between mom and dad. What was I going to do? 
I had no idea. You know, but God is great. And in that moment, I had a very best friend. Um, I love her. She's still my best friend, Christina. And we had, we had known each other through our professional relationships. We served on national boards for lawyers across the United States, and we would travel to these national conventions. And, and she would tell me, hey, you know what? You should, you should come to church. I think you'll like our pastor. He's kind of funny. I thought, well, I've never had a funny pastor, so. <laughs> so, um, you know, she kept telling me, she kept telling me, you, you, should, you should come to church. So I came to church. I came to New Beginnings Church, the other church over there. And y'all remember we had those maroon, maroon um, pews. And now she was a front row sitter. I am not a front row sitter. But I didn't know anybody there, and she invited me, so I felt like I had to be a front row sitter with her. She's sitting right there, front pew. And now I had two boys, age one and three. And she said, hey, do you want to leave them in children's church? And I was like, girl, I have never been here before. I don't know those people. I'm not leaving my kids there. So I brought them in with me to church, and it was a disaster. I don't remember a single thing the pastor said. All I remember is that when I was, I gave them my makeup to entertain them because I wasn't prepared. Like I, I had never had kids in church before, so I didn't have like the bag with the toys and the whole everything that you need to do when you're a mom with kids. And I gave them a little makeup compact because they had a mirror, so they thought it was funny to see themselves in the mirror. And I was like, okay, well, you know, something. That's all I got. And we were getting up to leave, and I looked back, and there was makeup all over the pew. And I thought, ay, Dios mío. Like, they're never, they're going to they're gonna see me walking out the door, and they're going to tell me, oh, you can't come back. And if you come back, you can't bring your kids. <sighs> it's bad. But you know what? They had a really good worship team, and I liked the music. And the pastor was kind of funny, the parts that I remember. So I kept coming back, and I kept coming back. I didn't sit in the front row. I sat in the back, and I finally learned to check my kids in, and they had a great time in children's church because I remembered how much I love children's church. And in fact, if I think back to that moment in the hospital, it was really that, that children's church idea that I really wanted my kids to have. So I kept coming back so my kids would have children's church, so that they would have something to hold on to, something that I knew that I couldn't give them. And the more I came to church, the more I remembered something about the God of my mother. You see, the God of my mother was a God of hope. And in that moment, I needed hope. I needed hope that our marriage was going to survive. I needed hope to know that my kids, that I was going to be the mom that my kids needed. I needed that God of hope through my life. And I needed the God who sustained me. Because my mom's God had sustained her, even though we were literally dirt poor my mom's God had sustained her. And I remember my mom was the most faithful tither of all time. Sometimes she would tithe like 25 cents because that's all she had made. And we worked in the fields. We'd work chopping onions and picking chili. That's where we worked. And my mom faithfully tithed. And the whole time, even though we were dope poor, I can tell you I never remember being hungry. 
So I needed that God, that God that sustained my mama and all 12 of us growing up. I needed that God to come into my household and help me through this middle, this terrible time that I was going through. I needed the God that sustained. And I needed the God who loved unconditionally. Because he held me through that time. And the more I came to church, the more I began to realize that my mama's God, the God that she prayed to faithfully, the God that sustained her, the God that gave her hope, was still the God that was alive and well in New Beginnings Church. And that he loved me unconditionally. And what I finally came to realize was all of those red marks that I thought I was carrying around, that I thought I could get rid of on my own, the God of heaven had already washed them away. There was nothing I could do of my own power to make them go away. But God had already done that for me. And of course, you know, I made it back into New Beginnings Church, and I am so honored and blessed to be part of your worship team. It's how I connect with God. It's an amazing moment to be able to worship with you. My marriage has been restored. Let me tell you time and time and time again, I'd like to say it was restored all those many times because it was my husband's fault, but I'd have to admit that there were some times that it was my fault too. But God is amazing. He keeps restoring. He doesn't give up on us. That's a good thing. A few... Um, A few weeks ago, a few years ago, I came across this verse from Exodus 15.2. It says, the Lord is my strength and my might, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my father's God, and I will exalt him. And I thought in that moment when I read that verse, I'm sure... You know, as a kid, I had never read Exodus before. I'm just going to be honest. But when I read that verse, I thought, wow, that's amazing. Because I used to serve my mother's God. But now God has become my own personal salvation. And I will praise him. And I, I kept thinking about that about that generational faith that we have. And when we were in the, in the conference out in Florida, I kept listening to the people who would come up to speak. And the people who would come up to speak would say something like, oh, my father was a pastor, or this reverend poured life into me, or my mother was a, a strong believer and she poured life into me. I kept thinking about this generational changeover of this faith, the belief. And I thought about Ruth and how Ruth believed in Naomi's God. And she said, your people will be my people and your God will be my God. She had no idea who these people were or who this God was, but she decided that because she believed in Naomi, she was going to believe in Naomi's God. And I thought, yeah, I think that's kind of the same thing, like me believing in my mom's God and then him becoming mine. And then I read in Timothy, when Timothy is, uh, when Paul is writing to Timothy, he writes, I give thanks to God whom I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did. I remember the sincere faith you have, the kind of faith that your grandmother 
Lois, and your mother Eunice also have, I am sure that you have it also. So as you're sitting in church here today, I wonder who is that person who has poured faith and life into you? Was it your pastor? Was it a friend? Was it your mom? Was it your dad? Because we all had to come from someone. We all had to come from someone's faith. It was someone's faith who had to encourage us to believe for the first time. Now, I know some of you are like, no, Roxy, my faith is my own. I never trusted in anyone to get my faith down. But let me explain to you how your faith was reliant on someone else at the very beginning. Have you ever felt sick? And you're like, man, I've never felt this before. I don't know what's going on. I think I'm going to die. I think I'm having a heart attack. My arm is numb. Oh, my gosh. What am I going to do? What is the first thing you do? You call your mom. You, do, you call your mom and you say, hey, mom, I, I think I'm dying. I'm like, my heart is about to explode. I don't know what to do. And she says to you, child, would you just settle down? You're having heartburn. You need to go down to Walgreens and you need to pick up some milk of, Mylanta, some milk of magnesia and you're going to be just fine. Now, you've never had heartburn before, so you don't even know if what she's saying is true, but you believe in your mama, and you think she, would give you, she wouldn't give you the wrong advice. So you go down to Walgreens, you, pit, you, see, you stand in front of the counter, you see all of these options. There's Mylanta, there's like Peptid, there's like all of these things, and you've never had heartburn before, and you're like, oh, I'm going to pick milk and magnesia because it's like M-O-M, it stands for mom. Mom's always right. So you pick it up. And you get to the car, before you even turn on your car, you're drinking some milk of magnesia because you need this feeling to go away. Now, let me tell you, from the point that you picked up the phone to call your mom to tell, you that, to tell her that you had something going on, until the, fact that, until the point when that milk of magnesia is finally working for you, your faith in that milk of magnesia and the thing it's going to do for you is based entirely on your mom. It's never worked for you. You've never had this before. It has, you, you don't even know. But you're believing that it's going to work because of your mom's faith in that very product. The same is true of your faith as you sit in here today. At one point, your faith was based on the fact that someone poured life into you. And you wanted to believe, but God had never worked for you personally. And so you needed Someone else, you needed to rely on someone else's faith. My challenge to you is to think about who is the person that's relying on your faith. Which Lois are you going to be? Which Naomi are you going to be? Which Eunice are you going to be? Which Timothy? Which Paul? Whose life are you pouring into? You know, we, we very often say that there are generational curses. We're willing to believe in generational curses, curses of alcoholism, curses of imprisonment, curses of depression that travel from generation to generation to generation. My challenge to you today, my dare that you would just not only dare to believe but know that God would be true, would to believe in generational blessings. That you would be the impetus for these generational blessings that would make a change across time. There is 
There's this amazing story about monarch butterflies. Did you know that it takes four generations of monarchs to complete the cycle of migration? And if something happens to one of those generations of monarchs, the entire cycle of migration could fail. Isn't that amazing? Your faith right now is like those monarchs. Generations after you are going to be relying on your faith, on your legacy of truth, on your legacy of falling on your knees in prayer when life gets hard, on your legacy of reading the Bible. That's what those generations after you are relying on. So my challenge to you is to place yourself in a position where the generations after you can count on you, that they can look to you and say, I want to be like my friend. I want to be like my mom. I want to be like my dad. Where in those moments when life got hard, they knew where to turn, that you would continue to plant miracle seeds moment after moment in the lives around you. Now, sometimes you will plant seeds of life, of joy, of peace, and you will not even know if they have ever become fruitful. But that's okay because that's what happens with regular seeds. The Bible says in Mark, in Mark 4, 26, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seeds on the ground night and day while he is asleep or awake The seeds sprout and grow, but he does not understand how it happens. The earth produces the crop on its own. The first leaf blade pushes through, and then the heads of wheat are formed, and finally the grain ripens. That's like the seeds that each of you are called to plant into the lives around you. You may not ever see it come to fruition, but that's okay. Your job is to continue to plant the seeds, not just because it's what God God has called you to do in your lifetime, but because it's going to change the generations to come. I not for one moment believe that the church is one generation away from existing because God has existed generation after generation after generation, the question is not whether, God, whether or not church will exist. The, the question is whether or not you and your family will continue to be in the church. So we know God is going to exist. We know church is going to exist. But the challenge for you is to make sure that you and your family and your generation and your legacy continues to be in the church. And that's my challenge to you. Would you be that monarch? This morning, I want to do just two things really quick. First, I want every head bowed, every eye closed. And I want to pray for those people who are like me, walking in for the first time to a church to feel all of those red marks covering you over. I don't need anybody's hands to go up this morning because you know who you are. And God knows who you are. And I need you to know in this place that God has already forgiven you. Yes, it's hard to give it up. I understand. I know I've been there. But God loves you. And I'm going to pray this prayer for you right now. Heavenly Father, we just come before you. You know my brother. You know my sister. You know they love you. You know they have always loved you. I pray right now that they learn to hear your voice 
once again. I pray right now, Heavenly Father, that your spirit encompass them, that, that their heart be filled with, their, with your love and that they have no doubt that you have forgiven them, that you love them, that, you are, that they are your children, and that it doesn't matter where they've been, what they've done, who they've been with. All of those things, Heavenly Father, are not as great as your love. Would you let them know that in this place? In your name we pray. Amen. Now, one last thing, my friends. I'm sure each one of us has someone in our family who used to be in the church and is no longer. Let me tell you, the last thing that you want to do to that person and say is, is say something like, well, no wonder you're having such a hard time. You, do, you don't come to church anymore. They already know that. Well, if you really needed an answer, you would read your Bible. They already know that. Well, you know, you don't pray. You don't read your Bible. You don't come to church. What do you expect? We all have those people in our life that we wish were sitting in these pews right now, in these chairs right now. My challenge to you is to reach out to those people in love and say, I love you. I love you. If you need anything, I'm always here for you. For you. Every now and then, maybe share an extra special sermon, but don't send an extra text that says, you know, this really applies to you. They already know that. But I want to pray for your generations, for you as a seed planter, and for the generations of your family who will fill all these pews. Would you pray with me? Would you dare to believe that your family can fill generation after generation in this church? Do you believe that? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now we come before you. We stand on the promises of your word that generations after generations will be blessed with your power, your spirit, your grace, and your love. Each person sitting here right now is a monarch, ready to go out into this world and feed the generations to come and plant the seeds that need to be planted so that your word will continue, so that their family will continue to serve God, that they, each person here, Heavenly Father, would be a legacy in their own right, establishing a seed and a foundation of right living with God, that they would be the person that someone calls in that moment when they don't know where to turn, that the people sitting in this room and listening to my voice on this recording, that they would be the people that would be called for strength, for love, for guidance. And that they would know how to respond in love, that they would know how to respond in grace. And we believe right now in this place, Heavenly Father, that each one of us are change makers, growing the kingdom of God, planting seeds everywhere we go, to fill this church not only in our lifetime, but in the generations to come for a thousand generations should you tarry that long. We believe that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, church. Thank you guys so much.
for hanging out with me today. Would y'all turn for just a moment? I think that there's a video that's coming up that would catch your attention. Thank you so much. She misses her daddy. He's been gone for about three years from going in at like 18. Now we're 22. He's scheduled to come home in about eight years. Emotionally, mentally, physically, it's not easy. Every day is hard. It's a struggle. This Christmas, a lot of people showed up. We thank God for everything you guys have done and brought to us and brought a piece of her daddy home that he couldn't bring himself. You know, it's just amazing. God is amazing. It definitely made us feel a lot closer, bringing, you know, a piece of her dad, and she knows this is from her daddy. It definitely took a big weight off my shoulders. Thank you guys so much. Y'all brought my baby a piece of her dad that she doesn't get to have all the time. And it's really amazing. Y'all guys are amazing. Thank you guys for everything you guys do. You know, family, back in 1982, I know we talk about this from time to time, when Pastor and Pastor Cindy came into the city, they laid down the foundation for our church that was to heal and restore lives through the love of Jesus Christ. And we've done that from day number one. And for that, we celebrate their vision. And we have carried out that vision proudly. And we continue to do that today. And one of those ways is with Angel Tree. And that's how we serve not only the incarcerated, right? Because when the incarcerated are doing their time, so do their families. Amen. It's, it's, it's a joint effort. And between you and I, we are able to join uh, the families that are serving their time with a gift and you and i get to partner with under his construction every year for the past several several years that we've been doing this to to help restore families that's what we're doing we're helping restore families so when a parent is serving their time and they don't get to go out like you and i christmas shopping for their kids we can go out there and you and i buy a gift and we write a love note and say hey I want to buy this gift on behalf of your parent. You see, the kid doesn't know that it's coming from you. They just know that they're getting a gift from their mom or dad that's serving time on the inside. And that's how we, you and I are restoring lives through the love of Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to call up Pastor Chris and Pastor Sonia. Why don't you come up, Pastor Chris, Pastor Sonia? Because we want to find out how we can partner with you in, in this joint effort. I know right now, outside, right now I'm holding two angel trees in my hand. One is for Athzina Zuber, and she loves dolls. And she is a six-year-old girl. And I'm holding another one for Lauren Cedillo, who has a parent. These, both, both of these kids have parents that are serving time. And little Lawrence. He, he says he, he, he pretends play, so he likes to do, like, costume play and, and do stuff like that. And he's a three-year-old, three-year-old little boy. And, and we want to partner with their parents because 
we want to serve them and show not only that we're here for the child, but we're also here for the parent to restore the families. So Pastor Chris, Pastor Sonia, right now we're serving the Albuquerque area. What other areas are we serving? Why don't you step up over here, my brother? What other areas are we serving besides Albuquerque? So this year we are only serving the Albuquerque area, Albuquerque and Las Lunas. But um, we're serving more than we've ever served before. Uh, 407 children, um, 187, 167 children. And so... And how many, how many angels do we have right now available? Uh, I, I believe we have about 250, 260 left. Left. And, and it's been uh, Angel Tree uh, Corporate this year. Uh, went, they went virtual, and uh, the virtual side of it uh, took them a little bit longer than it did with the paper side to get the thing done. Yeah. And so we're really behind this year. And so by partnering with us in, in trying to get this done, our uh, party this year is December 9th here. And, and so we're, we're really only about uh, three to four weeks, three, three and a half weeks to get everything done. So by partnering with us and, and with our church, I just want to say, and thank you, Michael, for doing such a great job. Um, but uh, it, was, it was my son uh, that received a basketball uh, from one of our, this church has been doing Angel Tree for longer than I've been out of That's prison right. because uh, Carlos Pacheco, who is part of our church, Delivered a basketball for my son while I was in church. On your behalf. Uh, while I was in, not That's in right. church, in a long time <laughs> in church college. prison. Yes, college, college. as pastor That's says. Right. <laughs> and so, uh, so, and and then, but Carlos was the guy who who led me to the Lord at MDC five years prior, four years prior to that. So God calls each one of us, and uh, um, um, the message that was just given talks about Amen. what we're doing to 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 go out go forth and uh, I believe giving a gift and it's not just a gift because we get to present the gospel of Jesus Christ Amen. to these children who are desperately uh, in need of hope so little as Thina or as Thina rather is asking for a doll but it's your seed that you're sowing into That's her right. life right it wasn't a basketball that changed the world it wasn't the basketball itself it was the seed that was sown through that basketball that restored the relationship between pastor chris and his son and led him to christ by carlos pacheco and what we're doing so it's the work that we do so that's right pastor chris besides because you just mentioned the virtual side of it beside the table that we have set up outside that we're going to ask people to make a stop on the way out beside that table outside if people are watching at home or maybe listening to this at a later time or watching this at a later time, where can they partner with you? And how can they get a hold of under his construction to help? And how can we partner with you if they don't have a chance to stop at that table? So we also have representatives for Angel Tree at uh, New Beginnings Crestview today at, at 11 o'clock service. We'll be here and all the way up until uh, two weeks you can be here Wednesday or Sunday to receive those angels off of the tree. You can also go to under his construction website 
And um, you can leave a comment for me if you need that. It's under his construction. Uh, org, and you can leave a comment for me if you would like to receive a gift or a angel. Okay, so you can reach out to underhisconstruction.org. You can reach out to Under His Construction. Catch him in the hallways. Do whatever we have to do, church, because that's where we are to try and change the life of these families and redirect these families into another path. Amen? Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor Chris, Pastor Sonia. Thank Michael, you so thank much you for so the work much. that you guys are doing. Thank you. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, Pastor Chris. And with that, church, we say, uh, why don't we stand together as we dismiss today. And you know, that party that Pastor Chris was talking about on December the 9th is the night that they all get together and all the gifts that are provided for these children their guardians bring the children here, and we distribute the gifts on behalf of their parents. And it's really awesome. And if you want to partner with them on that, get with them, because, of course, volunteers are always needed. But thank you, Lord, for the work that you're doing. Thank you, Lord, for the work that you're going to do, Lord, not only through Angel Tree, Lord, but through the lives of every person in this place, Lord, and the work and the word that was instilled into our hearts today, Lord, by our sister Roxy. Thank you for such an amazing word, Heavenly Father. And, and Lord, thank you for an amazing worship service and for this time together, Lord, together here with us, Lord, and most especially with you. Heavenly Father, we leave this place, but not your presence. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Church, thank you so much. We love you. We'll see you guys on Wednesday. Blessings to you.